welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Hacker Factory. I'm your host, Philip Wiley. I refer to myself as the hacker maker because I love to teach, mentor, and help people get started in pen testing. Each episode, I bring on a unique guest and friend of mine that is somehow involved in hacking through bug bounties, security research, pen testing, or other areas of offensive security. And today, I'm very happy to introduce my friend, Hutch. We met years ago during our paths into the OSCP. We had a virtual study group and we met way back in 2012, 2013 and been friends since then. So it's an honor to have you on the show today, Hutch. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Certainly. My name is Justin Hutchins. I usually go by Hutch. I have been in the technology field for probably around 20 years in security for a little over a decade. I currently work as a security assessments practice lead for a company called Set Solutions, and I lead our uh, governance, risk, and compliance, our incident response, and also our threat and vulnerability management services, uh, which is our pen testing, red teaming, application security, that kind of stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing your intro. So uh, for our listeners, I know you have an interesting background because uh, when we first met, I guess you were still in, in the military at that time? getting ready to transition out? That is correct. Uh, Yeah, so I got started actually, uh, well, I was in, I started my security career in the military. Really my interest in technology goes far beyond that. Do you want me to to roll it back to the beginning and and give you the the rundown? Sure. Okay, great. Um, So I was originally coming out of high school. I was majoring in philosophy and the University of Houston. And uh, at the time was putting myself through school working as a customer service manager at Walmart. And at the time, I, there was this guy that I met while I was working at Walmart. He used to come into the store and he was one of those guys that honestly, in, in hindsight, you realize how influential they were on your life, but you didn't realize at the time. And so uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not still in contact with this person, but really cool guy that worked in technology at the time. And I was in the middle of taking a class called Symbolic Logic within my philosophy program. And he came in one night and he was looking through my book and he's like, uh, just looking at what I was doing. And then he was like, basically told me this, what you're doing is programming. And honestly, it had never occurred to me that that was the case. So he basically 
took a, if I recall, it was like the back of our seat or something and started writing down by hand like JavaScript code and comparing it to the stuff at the Symbolic Logic book. And uh, so, so that was kind of what enticed me to start looking into different programming languages and different scripting. Uh, pretty early on, I was doing a lot of stuff that probably at this point I would consider hacking that I didn't really realize was hacking. Uh, doing different stuff with web scripts. So stuff like back in the day with eBay, uh, I would make eBay sniping bots. And one of the cool things with eBay back in the day that is not the case anymore is that you would have the username of the person that was bidding against you that had the top bid uh, displayed in the auction. And so what you could do is create an automated bot that basically would use their username at the last few minutes of the auction and would do multiple failed authentication attempts against their username, lock them out so they can't outbid you, and then place the final bid to, uh, to snipe whatever you're trying to purchase. Um, other interesting stuff that I did was we had a, a radio station that had a application that allowed you to vote on what song you wanted to hear during a certain segment that they did in the morning. And I discovered that the it only allowed you to vote once, but it only verified whether or not you had voted by a session token that it had given you. As long as you wiped out your cookies, you could vote again. So I, I had some fun on multiple occasions just basically deciding for the entire local community what song would be listened to in the mornings. Um, so I, I moved from Walmart to a basic IT company doing help desk type stuff. It was a company called Physion and it was a, a very early fiber optics company that did kind of your triple play package of TV, phone and internet. And it was a fairly poorly managed company uh, at the end of the day, that or after, I, I guess, probably about six months of being there, the company pretty much tanked and went belly up. And I didn't have much in terms of education. Again, I was majoring in philosophy, uh, nothing in terms of certifications. And so I had a really hard time finding another technology job after that. So that was ultimately when I made the move into the Air Force. So I enlisted in the Air Force and took a job there that was very similar. It was basically a, a help desk job called client systems and got to pretty early on do some interesting security stuff just by the nature of working in the military, working with like cryptographic tech lanes and just doing some general active directory maintenance and other sysadmin type tasks. Uh, when I moved to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, I was really fortunate to end up being right next to the vulnerability management team. And again, I, I kind of had that passion for coding and they were working with a vulnerability scanning solution at the time that the DOD had called EI Retina. And this thing was a disaster um, and it, it didn't do discovery well. There was, there was a lot of things that it didn't do well. But one of the things that they were needing was a way to supplement the security scans or the, sorry, the discovery scans that were performed by that vulnerability scanner. And so I ended up actually working with them to build out a multi-threaded PowerShell discovery script that also uh, plugged in or had a, 
a connection to uh, another Python script that I was using to use Scapy to launch wake on land packets before it did that discovery. And of course, nobody in the group, actually surprisingly in a security group, could uh, support or work with that script. So it very quickly went from me just occasionally going over there and helping them with scripting to while I never was officially moved over there, I was pretty much just the honorary security guy that started working in that role. Uh, as I started getting towards the end of my time in the Air Force, I started thinking about the struggle that I had finding a job, even in IT, much less security, whenever I had lost my job previously before getting out. So I made myself a goal within the last year that the two things that I wanted to set out to do was get my CISSP for the general security knowledge and get my OSCP. And so it was a, a brutal year of studying of kind of long sleepless nights working in front of the computer um, as, as you're well aware. And, uh, but, but ultimately uh, managed to pass both and landed a consulting job made, uh, while I made that transition out of the military and pretty much been doing the penetration testing stuff ever since. I've uh, done a lot in recent years in terms of kind of independent research and focusing on certain areas that I enjoy. I built a blog called Sociosploit and that's at sociosploit.com. And that focuses on a, a couple different areas of interest for me. Specifically, I, I think that social engineering and the psychology that's involved with that is fascinating. But I also think that there are a lot of opportunities where social engineering attacks can be enhanced when people are interacting with technology that they don't necessarily understand. And so that's really what the blog focuses on is ways that technology can be employed in order to enhance social engineering exploitation attacks. And it covers a bunch of different projects that I've done, everything from using automated dating bots with chat bots in order to try to recover people's recovery questions and gain access to their different services, uh, some different web service malware that runs over common web services like Twitter, Slack, uh, Salesforce. And then my most recent is doing hacking against Alexa devices, and I'm actually delivering a talk at DEF CON uh, IoT Village uh, next Friday on that. So. Very cool. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things, you know, people are always asking, do you need to know how to do any kind of coding? And I have guests on here that believe you do or you don't, but based on your experience, it seemed like it's been a really good area for you. It's, it's pretty interesting. Some of the things that you've you've come up with and you've even even done some stuff uh like for like investing and stuff haven't you before in the past i have yeah i do uh python code where i'm plugging into multiple different apis whether that's bitrix for crypto trading uh, oanda for forex trading or uh now for people that use the Robinhood app for stock trading they actually have a api first equivalent called alpaca so uh so yeah, that's that's another area that I just really enjoy doing the the Python stuff and and it, it keeps me sharp because I'm it, my hobby on the side in addition to security is also working with Python. So it's uh, you get to the point where you're so proficient with coding that you don't even have to do the Google searches that you had to do early on to to see how to interact with the different libraries and functions. 
It's pretty cool. So I imagine a lot of your side projects have probably helped tremendously in your professional career because I would think some of the things you're doing there may be a little more complicated than some security tasks, maybe. I would, yeah, in a lot of cases they are. Uh, it's, so with the the trading stuff, I mean, a lot of that is focusing on heavy statistics, machine learning, um, your, I guess what they call, uh, what, what is the term, um, information science or uh, data science. Yeah. Um, cool. So working with uh, some of those libraries in Python, which I mean, Python really excels at. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely applications for that in security as well. But uh, I, I think to, to circle back to a point that you made, I, I, I agree that that's definitely a highly contested conversation of do you need to code or be able to code in order to be in penetration testing or to be successful in a technical security role. And I would say that I don't think it is a requirement. I think that anytime you understand a lot about the context of how things are working, and that could be just a knowledge of sysadmin functions and how different components of the operating system work or um, how different operations and networking work. Uh, I, I think that that kind of knowledge can go a long way in penetration testing, depending on the circumstances. But I do think that the ability to code puts you at a significant advantage. For me, I, I look at things that I would otherwise have to do manually and would take me exponentially longer to do. And for me, it almost becomes like a superpower. I can accomplish things that otherwise for any normal human would be impossible uh, within any kind of reasonable time period. So uh, for anybody that's looking to get into it, uh, I, I think it does give you a competitive edge and it, it gives you that extra skill set that uh, a lot of people in the security field don't have. I mean, I'd, I'd say that it's probably in the area of like 50-50, especially on the penetration testing side. And so having that extra skill set definitely gives you an opportunity to get your foot in the door at times. It really seems like some of the sharpest in the industry do know how to code or something because you got, you know, like Harmjoy from Spectre Ops and you got Byte Bleeder that uh, created crap, crack map exec. So you see a lot of these people that are writing tools that are really good. I mean, there are some people that don't know how to code that do pretty well, but it seems like, you know, it seems like at least in my opinion for what I've seen out of the top pen testers, it seemed like the ma the majority know how to code at least script or something to be able to write some tools. Yeah. And honestly, I think, like I said, I think it's a, a great opportunity to get your foot in the door. I know that you focus a lot of this podcast on, opportunities that would allow somebody to pivot from maybe a technology role or uh, from even uh, other roles outside of the industry altogether into security. And for me, as a hiring manager that sometimes looks for personnel to add to my team, it's not always about certifications and degrees. One of the things that I think is the most interesting and one of the things that is most appealing for candidates is if you can show me just a, a public GitHub profile that has some interesting scripts that you worked on and they don't even have to be security if you can show that innovation and that capability to code uh then for me that shows that you can think outside the box that you can think logically and that you likely can apply those skills to uh opportunities as long as you can get in that exploitation mindset that that bad guy mindset of what can i potentially use this capability for great i'm glad you you brought up the the hiring uh, topic because you know a lot of the people we have on the show some may be part of team interviews but not hiring managers 
for the most part so far. So you got a, a pretty unique mindset. So uh, you kind of mentioned the Git, GitHub repositories and stuff. So I know a lot of people just trying to get their foot in the door that don't have the experience. What would you recommend for someone to get experience that you would see that you would consider hiring someone maybe if they didn't have direct professional pen testing experience? Uh, beyond just the GitHub profile, I think other things that you can do, obviously, uh, certifications and degrees are one route, but I think that those a lot of times are overrated. Personally, I think that your traditional form of your four-year degrees applied to technology doesn't really work because of the fact that technology moves so fast and you get a four-year degree and five years down the road, a lot of the stuff that you learned is, is likely no longer even applicable. And, and it just becomes a degree in history rather than a degree in something that is useful today. So I think for me, that's probably the reason that certifications have really played the role that they have in information technology and information security is because most of those certification programs at least have some kind of continuing education component that shows that you're maintaining that edge. Uh, so I, I would recommend between the two, probably leaning more towards certifications. I also feel like in my own personal experience, I've, uh, so I've done the four-year degree and even the master's degree, and I still feel like I, in most cases, I got more out of the certification programs than I did the degrees. And I think it's also worth saying that I feel like I got a lot more out of the hands-on certification programs than the ones that are just read a textbook and learn the material. So when I say that, I, I mean stuff like uh, if you take a SANS course and get the opportunities to do the labs, um, SANS is cost prohibitive for a lot of people, but there are cheaper alternatives that are honestly, in my opinion, just as good. Stuff like offensive security or e-learn security uh, are both fantastic options with a lot of hands-on programs. Uh, and then the other thing that I would say is I, I think that doing independent research or even just documenting the studies that you're doing through a personal blog. I mean, anybody can create uh, a website on Blogger or something like that to just show what their interests are and what they're working in. And, and something like that shows me that you're taking initiative, that you're uh, passionate about learning. And I, for me, the mindset of being passionate about learning is far more important than what you actually know at this time. And again, that goes back to the fact that this industry moves so fast that to be successful, it's it's less about what you know and more about are you willing to continue to make an effort to continue to learn. Uh, and, and then I'd say probably the other thing is bug bounties. I know that you've had some conversations with uh, some of your other individuals that you've had on this podcast about that. Um, but I, I think a, a lot of the programs like HackerOne and Bug Crowd do give you that opportunity to have a, a public profile that shows things that you've been participating in. And uh, I think one of them, I actually don't remember if it's Bug Crowd or if it's HackerOne, but one of them just added kind of a CTF component that actually allows you to add that into the, the points in your program as well. So being able to show that public profile to hiring managers, I think also just shows initiative, shows that you're you're involved in doing something, whether or not that's your traditional role of going through the academic route. Um, it, it still, to me, shows that you have the skill set that's necessary and the mentality that's necessary in order to succeed in this industry. So what do you think about, since we're kind of talking about those type of things, what about hack the box? Is that something you 
considered to be a good thing because I know they got rankings on there and people can kind of show you where, where they're ranked on Hack the Box. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. Hack the Box is awesome. Um, Hack the Box to me is basically the uh, the equivalent of the offensive security labs, but in almost a more gamified approach. Uh, so, and actually I know a couple of guys that work over there that do some of their content development. And yeah, it's, it's a fantastic team. It's, it's an awesome program. So uh, absolutely would recommend anybody that's not only looking to get that edge in interviews, but also just for the sake of learning. I mean, they're, they're fun to do. So. Yeah, I know they even, even Synac uses some of their stuff for, for like their vetting process, the Dante labs or whatever they've got through there. They're running a thing for a while. If you got through the Dante uh, section or whatever, then it got you in line further ahead for interview than people had just applied, you know, online. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That would be nice to see more companies using those sort of things. Cause you know, a lot of companies have to vet people. You take stuff, people like cobalt companies, they do the pen test as a service, not exactly bug bounty, but they have to vet people. So if you've got more opportunities, I think to use things online, like hack the box to vet people, people are already looking at that already doing it. And you could quickly get a ranking for the individual and kind of the way, you know, uh, Synax doing. Yeah, I think so. Actually, when back when I was uh, at my first consulting job at GuidePoint Security, I had set up something similar to that, which was uh, just building a custom web app that people would, a vulnerable web app that people would have to basically do their attacks on, provide a report as to what they found. And what I found difficult with trying to support that myself was that it would get to the point where a lot of people would just use automated tools. And what I've seen Offsec do and also what they do with a lot of the hack the box stuff, and this is really cool, but you also have to respect how much time this takes and, and how difficult it is to support yourself, is the fact that they'll use deception techniques that basically trick a lot of the automated tools to make it to where you get a ton of false positives and you you almost have to dig in and do the manual analysis in order to be able to successfully complete those. And for me, I mean, just continuing to try to support something that also was trying to evade any kind of automated tools was, was a really difficult task. So I, I actually think that's a really cool idea using a, a vendor like Hack the Box in order to supplement your own hiring process. So yeah, since we're kind of on that, what would since we're on the topic of getting started, and that's a popular portion of the show, uh, what would you recommend someone that's starting out that's wanting to get into pen testing? I know you mentioned some methods, but what would be kind of your path or, or your recommended approach for learning to be a pen tester? I, I think there's a lot of different paths. I think per, uh, if I just had to recommend something from personal experience, I think not even focusing necessarily on security to begin with, but just starting to do coding and whether that is just, I mean, there's, and there's a lot of free content out there too. A lot of YouTube courses. Uh, there's a, a free program called learn Python the hard way. Um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of Python. There are also obviously other options too. I mean, JavaScript's out there uh, and JavaScript these days is super powerful just because of the server side components that have been added with the node solutions and stuff like that. So I think at this point that's becoming nearly as popular as JavaScript, both among, pen testers and outside. But I think building not just scripts, but even if you want to start getting into rudimentary building of web applications or different 
thick client applications. Understanding how things are built is invaluable whenever you decide that you want to take the approach of picking it apart. And, and honestly, that for me, I, I think I kind of, when I decided that hacking was something that I wanted to pursue, it would be kind of a combination of setting up a lab, uh, building up the environment myself so I understand it from the inside and out, and then performing exploits on that. And I mean, you, you almost have the cheat sheet there, but it really allows you to get into the mindset that when you see something that you didn't build, how was the developer thinking or how was the engineer thinking? And being able to predict their thought process uh, will a lot of times allow you to identify things that through just regular black box analysis, you would have no other knowledge of and, and can definitely provide some interesting exploitation opportunities. Yeah, I like that. My my first pen test job, and fortunately I got the job because I was passionate and I like to learn on my own because the job I interviewed with was consulting. And I just had like web vulnerability scan experience, had some AppSec experience and sysadmin experience, but they took me because I had a home lab and I taught myself to, to do web design and hosted like a Apache web server at home, learning how to build stuff. And this same manager always told us he wasn't encouraging us to take these SANS courses, offensive security courses. He was just telling us to build something. And that was his philosophy as well. Yeah, I, I mean, back when we did it, I, building up a lab was almost essential to the learning process. These days, I, there's you don't even have to have that rack in your house. I mean, you've got the cloud that will... Yeah. I mean, stuff like AWS free tier and GCP and stuff like that, where you can build out entire AD environments, entire multi-tiered networks. And uh, I, I think there's opportunities to do nearly endless experimentation uh, without driving your, your family nuts with the whirring of servers inside your house and coolant and not to mention the massive electric <laughs> and everything that comes with that. So. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think one of the good points that you bring up about the cloud stuff too, just getting to learn cloud in general, because a lot of these jobs, you know, when, you know, we were kind of getting started, cloud just really wasn't really that popular was just getting started, really wasn't a needed skill. But nowadays, you know, everyone needs a little bit of cloud experience. So I like that. Yeah, that, and that actually kind of makes me think of one other thing that I would suggest for anybody that's looking to get in this field or anybody that's looking to advance themselves within the security field is always be, I guess, ready to adapt and uh, to step out of your comfort zone. Because I, I think the biggest thing that uh, becomes an obstacle for people is their own concerns about their own limitations. And you can call that imposter syndrome, or you can just call that fear or anxiety or whatever you want to call it. But one of the things that I've found has been extremely helpful for me finding success in this industry is when there is an opportunity to do some type of assessment in a unique environment. And I, I mentioned this because you mentioned cloud, uh, but the first time that there was opportunities to do cloud assessments, the first time that I had an opportunity to jump in a, a mobile app assessment or IOT or OT stuff, uh, jump on those opportunities. I mean, you. I, I think that a lot of people in this industry, they doubt themselves and, and 
understandably, I mean, this industry is so massive. There's so much knowledge and it's impossible to be an absolute expert in everything in this field. So I, I think because of that, it's very easy to get into that negative mindset of that imposter syndrome. But I think that people fail to give themselves credit for the context that we really have. Just understanding those security fundamentals or having potentially worked with different technology and kind of the, the specific areas that you may have as an interest, just being able to cross apply any kind of knowledge or any lessons learned from those to a new environment that you're stepping into, uh, you can always find opportunities to use what you know and that unique perspective that you have to potentially see things that other people won't see. So I, I would say that's probably my biggest recommendation is just get out of your own way and get out of your comfort zone and be ready to tackle something that uh, you otherwise wouldn't think yourself prepared to do. Yeah, that's that's great advice of getting outside the comfort zone because you stay there. It's just too easy to not to advance. Yeah, I mean, if, if somebody comes to you and you've only done one type of pen test and they're like, do you want to do this? Well, I don't know how to do that. You're never you're never going to do anything but that. I mean, you can't ever learn with with that kind of mentality. So, yeah, based on some some recent conversations and stuff, how would you how would you recommend people balancing like their life and work and and study? Because I know it's easy to get burnt out. You know, you've done a lot of studying and I'm sure you've probably experience that. So what would you recommend for people to try to avoid burnout and have kind of that balance? I, I think probably for everybody, it's it's something different, but I think you have to find that thing that appeals to you that becomes your break from this. Uh, information security absolutely is my hobby, but it's not my 100% of the time hobby. I, there's, I think you have to find something outside of what you do for work that appeals to you, that relaxes you, and that allows you to get to put all of this out of your mind. So for me, I mean, I, I pretty much just unplug completely. I, I enjoy going out into the country. I enjoy uh, just doing fishing or hunting or just getting as far away from technology as possible. Um, and I while I absolutely enjoy technology, I realize that you have to make those breaks for yourself. Uh, otherwise, to your point, you, you absolutely do burn out. Uh, great advice. So we're getting down to the, the end of the show. And do you have any advice or anything you'd like to comment on that we didn't cover? Uh, no, I think the only thing is uh, I will be out in DEF CON. I know you will be too. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing your talk as well. Um, and uh, for anybody that's going to be out there, um, feel free to connect with me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Sociosploit. Uh, or uh, again, just uh, follow my blog at www.sociosploit.com. And for those of you interested in getting contact with Hutch, we're going to have that in the show notes so you'll be able to find him. And as he said, say hello if you see him at DEF CON. And uh, actually, depending on the release date, we released an episode earlier this week because it was a special DEF CON episode, so which really shouldn't count against this week's release, but this may possibly go out on Friday. If not, then the, the Friday of DEF CON, so people would still have time to, to look you up. So thanks for joining. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you being a guest. All right. Thanks, Phil. And thanks, everyone, for joining. And we'll see you on the next episode.
BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.